Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful. And for the faithful, I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here today with Bruce McCurdy. Hey, Bruce. Hey, David. How are you doing tonight? Great. That was about as stress-free an Edmonton Oilers game as I've experienced all game. It just, you often ironically say never in doubt. I think you're being ironic. Um, I I would bother writing that tweet tonight. It was, it was totally (laughs) never in doubt. Unironically, never in doubt. Pittsburgh was as lifeless, um, lacking of intensity, a team as I've seen all year long in the NHL. They just had nothing. And the Oilers actually had, you know, I don't know if it was just the Oilers looking good or Pittsburgh looking bad. They were both teams played out of town games yesterday, Edmonton and Seattle, Pittsburgh and Calgary. But I think Pittsburgh lost their game. And you know, I've been talking about playing it against desperate teams. Mm -hmm. I don't think Pittsburgh's desperate anymore. They're Mm -hmm. despondent. And that showed tonight. It was a despondent team that we saw tonight. This realizes they're out of it. And they're about to be you know, picked apart in the in the trade deadline. And they're done. And they looked at that's how I saw it. What did you see? Yeah, I thought, you know, Pittsburgh, they were skating okay. And, they're, you know, they were, uh, the puck spent a little bit too much time in the first portion of the game where the artists couldn't seem to get it out of their own end. <clears throat> Penguins didn't seem to generate a whole lot from that. And they didn't really, uh, I didn't think, play it, you know, certainly not a hard game. And, They've had a, a a sequence of bad events go against them, uh, uh, losing games and gradually falling out of the uh, playoffs in the East. And uh, last night, I watched the end of that game in Calgary. They were ahead 3-1 halfway through the third period <coughs> of the power play. And they lost 4-3 in regulation, giving up a g- game winner on a terrible defensive zone turnover in the last minute of regulation. Now, if that's... You know, that's just a kick in the junk for any team. You know, they had to get yeah. some result out of that game, and they couldn't even get the one point that they were trying to hang on to when they really should have had two. And, uh, yeah, Chris Letang uh, may have had his worst game as a pro last night. He was absolutely owned on three of the four Calgary goals. Anyway, they, tonight, and then they, apparently they had some kind of travel delay getting up to Edmonton, so they didn't hit the pillow until... 3 a.m. where at least the Oilers had an afternoon game yesterday and they were home in pretty good time during the evening as I understand it. So they yeah. had a little rest advantage even though the both teams are on a back-to-back and and Pittsburgh just didn't really have it. They sure certainly did not. I mean wow that was a sad team. Sorry Pittsburgh. Uh, the Edmonton Oilers now have 76 points. They're nine points back of the Vancouver Canucks. Who four also games. won. Also won. They have four games yeah. in hand. It's going to be tough to catch Vancouver. I mean, there is um, more than 20 games left. 20, 23 games left for the Oilers. Mm-hmm. And 19 for the Canucks. So, it's possible. But um, Vancouver's been a pretty good team all year. And they have a... 48 goal goal differential. The Oilers have 40 goal differential bursts. Just one ugly Edmonton loss to Vancouver that separates them. <laughs> Pretty much. 
Yeah, without that, without that game, it would be the you know it'd be Edmonton to be ahead because they were minus seven and Vancouver plus seven in that one game, the opener. Yeah, indeed. This is our two good things, two <laughs> bad things, and two numbers podcast with one conundrum. What is your good thing? Yeah, I'm going to go with the two nothing goal that was eventually the uh, game winner, <clears throat> and I'm going to roll the tape back, Howie, all the way to. What preceded the goal, which was a fantastic save by Calvin Pickard. This game very, very, very easily could have been one-to-one on this sequence. And uh, uh, Pickard uh, made one save to kick out, a, kick out a shot, and he kicked it right onto the stick of Sidney Crosby, who drilled a rebound shot just inside the near side post. And somehow Pickard flashed out a pad. Uh, to get a piece of it. The overhead view of that, which they showed several times, every time I saw it, I gasped because it looked like, you know, how is he going to stop it? The puck's going in the net and the pad came out of nowhere and kicked it out. And then the puck went into the corner and Pittsburgh kept the pressure on for a bit. And then Brett Kulak, who had an excellent game, I thought, all night, uh, made a, uh, a good play to intercept a pass and just chip it up on the wing. And then Warren Fogel, who I also thought had a, had a strong game tonight, he made a very good, subtle play, very on Fogel-like. Uh, he's a pretty direct player for the most part, but he just chipped a soft one up into the neutral zone and sent away three, count them, three teammates on a three-on-one with um, Perry, uh, McLeod, and with CeCe uh, playing decoy on the, on the other wing. And uh, Perry and McLeod basically treated it like a two-on-one with Perry uh, passing it up to McLeod and then McLeod making the nice return pass with Perry going hard to the net and he just uh, chopped it home uh, to make it two-nothing. And that was a goal. I would suspect that that one sequence took a lot of the life out of the Penguins. Oh, and for sure. Especially when Edmonton followed it up with a with another goal within a couple minutes. Uh, I think a three nothing, but it looked like looked like for sure Pittsburgh was going to tie it up and instead they're looking up at zero two. And at that moment they know it's a long way back and they're probably not making the trip. Yeah. There was a lot of good play from the foot soldiers actually tonight. Yes. I, maybe they've been reading all this deadline day talk about them bringing in two forwards and thinking, hey, not my job. Because uh, so yeah. I gave uh, just a quick rundown of the game grades I gave. I gave Fogel a seven, McLeod mm-hmm. an eight, mm-hmm. Corey Perry a seven, Sam Gagne an eight, and Dylan Holloway oh. a six. Oh. Okay. It was. I thought it. Well, I thought it was his best game since coming back from injury. He was mm-hmm. in on four grade A ch- uh, chances, and he made mm-hmm. really good plays on all those grade A shots. So, yeah, like in did. limited time, he was he just was yeah. great in limited time. So that's great game. Uh, that's an eight. Mm-hmm. I keep it simple. Uh, okay, my good thing, Bruce, is GTFN, go to the fracking net, to put it politely, and the Oilers did it on each of the first three goals. And that's how you score. That is how you score in the NHL as much as anything. So the first one, uh, Connor McDavid's rushing in. He puts a hard shot on net, um, a low shot that can be, um, slammed in on the rebound, and who was there to slam it in but Hymander, Zach Hyman. And um, 
he's just uh, he is just having such a fantastic season. He is figured out. He is a smart, smart, smart hockey player. Mm-hmm. He's figured out how to play so well with Connor McDavid. And GTTFN is the way to do it. Go to that That's net. His motto. It really is. And he just, you know, we've seen ever like on Twitter, at least on the social media, there's this chart of where Hyman has scored his goals from. And it just makes me laugh every, every, I think it makes everyone laugh every time we see it. Cause you know, 39 of the 41 goals are just right in the crease, you know, almost on the goal line. And then there's a couple from the outside, but he has just scored, you know, he is just cashing in right in the crease. He's he's got that Wayne Cashman thing going on there, Bruce. Yeah. Um, the second goal was, and you've described the second goal. It's it's Corey Perry going to the fracking net and stick on the ice, and it puts it in off his stick. This is the veteran uh, star player. And I remember when he came to Edmonton, people were thinking, "Who's going to score first, Corey Perry or Connor Brown?" Well, we mm-hmm. we have our answer. We we had our answer before this, but we now know why Corey Perry scores goals. And Brown doesn't do this play; like he's just not that guy. He's a bit more of a fluid flow player. But Perry is a net front player, a charge the net player, and you can see it's a very effective strategy. Then the third goal, um, <clears throat> Bouchard puts it into the slot off off dressed left. Did it hit his stick or his skate? I wasn't sure. I thought he kind of slashed, slashed at the puck mm-hmm. and it went off. He passed it off the Pittsburgh player to Hyman, who was again going to the right. fracking net and put it in. Although went some people were saying went off his skate. Went off a uh, Dumoulin skate. That's what uh, I thought. It wasn't, it, it wasn't no, uh, dry Ru- Ru- skate. Ruidel, my bad. Uh, Cray, uh, Chad Ruidel. Uh, uh, dry saddle chopped it towards the net and it hit. Yeah. That's hit Rudell's skate and bounced right to Hyman, yeah, who was, was going to the net. <laughs> <laughs> great, great pass, great play by Leon and Hyman doing yeah. what he's got to do. So, yeah, said, that's that was great to see. Um, I I just think if you're an Oilers forward and you're thinking, how should I play this game? Just watch Zach Hyman, like guys like um, all of them, Fogel. Holloway, McLeod, uh, even and Brown. Do what Zach Hyman's doing. Um, now, not everyone can do it, but because not everybody has the strength and the um, stability on their skates to puck protect and make quick moves with the puck like Hyman down low. But then you work on that. You know, Holloway could develop that. Why not? Um, McLeod could develop more of that. Why not? So he's the role model. He is a self-made all-star, a self-made Team Canada player, Bruce. Mm-hmm. That kind of. Yeah, I heard the uh, um, Got Your Back podcast with Rashad Strudwick and Brown, uh, <clears throat> Robbie Brown, of course, um, talking about him and uh, making a comparison to the uh, former Pittsburgh Penguin player, line mate of uh, Crosby, yeah. Chris Kunitz. And I thought, yeah, bang on. And Kunitz, I always thought he was a really strong player for Pittsburgh. He always had great um, advanced stats, fancy stats. And yet there were many in the fancy stats community who sort of said, that's all Crosby's doing. He was never like this until he played with Sid. It must all be Sid. And, of course, the real truth was that he 
seized the day when he got that opportunity and he used his strengths to be a great support player with Sid and he earned himself right on to the Olympic team and won an Olympic gold medal, Chris Kunitz. Uh, <clears throat> you know, and he was never the best player on his line. Well, this just in, Zach Hyman isn't either. He's just a tremendous support player who, you know, does the stuff that he does that allows the other guys on, on his line to, you know, to to do most of the puck work. And he does, he goes to the front of the net, screens goalies, occupies D-men, creates lanes behind him, and slams in passes and rebounds, you know. <laughs> it works real well. Fantastic hockey player. Bruce, what is your bad thing? Yeah, well, uh, yeah, I got to go with the shutout breaker. Just a stinking bad bounce. And Edmonton got a few good bounces in this game, so I, I'm not going to complain too loudly. But my goodness, when you got a shutout in the third period, you hate to see this. And I think it hit, the puck was behind the net and they were battling for it. And Cece, who if nothing else is a battler, uh, was battling away. And the puck hit his stick. And then I, I, th I think it hit the, kind of toe cap of his skate and it hopped up over the net and down landed in the blue paint and basically right on the stick of a Jenny Malkin, right? Who had a four footer to slam into the net, which he immediately did. And it was just such a bad bounce. <laughs> it was so bad luck. Jeez, oh, my bad thing. I thought here Pickard was going to get a second shutout and he would have been, uh, I'm certain the first Oiler goalie in history and one of the very few that got uh, two shutouts in which he faced a penalty shot, which he did again in this game, uh, just like he did in the Chicago game that he won 3 nothing when he made a, a key stop on that penalty shot in that game with Oilers leading just one nothing, And so he made the saves that he needed to and he just was uh, deprived of his shutout by this crappy bounce in the late going with us. Seven, yeah, seven and a half minutes to go in the in the game, and really the only question at that point was, can they keep the sheet clean? And it turned out they couldn't. But I didn't think it was like poor defending or anything. It just was crappy no. bounce. No, it went poor CC and Kulak. I mean, they were yeah. in theory the culprits on the goal against, but they really they're just so fast developing. What can you do? Mm -hmm. It's just a weird play. Thank goodness it wasn't a more a, like a consequential goal. It was a, yeah. it was except for Pickard. It was a yeah. it was yeah. a concept. He loses his shutout, so that hurts. Bruce, my bad thing is the Penguins. I don't. <laughs> I think this is one of sorry Penguins. This was one of the worst efforts we've seen all year from an from an opposing team. They're so the great A shots were seventeen. Yeah, maybe they'll fire it back, get it back going. 17 to 10 for the grade A shot subset of five alarm shots were five to three for Edmonton. Wow. So, um, yeah, they just, I mean, they're missing their two best wingers, right? Gensel yes. and Rust. Those are yep. really good hockey Key players. players for them, yeah. yeah, they really are. So that's a huge thing, but man, that team just had nothing. They had nothing. And, um, luck to them. Yeah, that second period, once that second goal went in, it was like wham, and then two more wham, wham, just before the end of the period. And just like that, a one nothing game was a 5 nothing laugher. And the third period was basically all garbage time. Okay, let's look at the wild card race. 
there. So um, Tampa Bay has 72 points in 63 games. Now Pittsburgh has four games in handbursts, but they've got only six, they're 10 points behind. They've got 62 points. So they're not in theory, if they went on it, you know, if they'd won that Calgary game yeah, and somehow figured out, you know, even steal one point here, you know, then they're, then they've, then they've got four games in hand and they're, and they're, um, uh, seven points behind. Right. And then, then you think, oh, maybe, right. Maybe we could do it, but uh, there's, I don't think they can. I just think that's so heartbreaking to lose like they did in Calgary last night. And um, they are in tough right now. So they'll be making some trades, I'm betting. New Jersey looks out of it. All these teams, like it's not that close right now. The two teams in the East that are in the wildcard spots, Detroit and Tampa, both have 72 points. And then the Islanders have 66 and Washington has 65 and New Jersey 64, Pittsburgh 62. You'd have to be awfully optimistic and hopeful mm-hmm. in those two cities. And if you're a GM going on that, I mean, you shouldn't be a GM. I mean, you know, there's some of them that are been GMs a while there and might be wanting to hold on to their job. So we'll do whatever they can to make the playoffs and not trade away players. But that wouldn't seem to be the sharp move. So. Maybe there'll be oh, a, who, maybe, who'd you see out there tonight? Sellers. Who'd you see out there tonight on Pittsburgh? Who they're going to sell? That someone's going to um, want to buy. I mean, obviously, the the three antiques are not going anywhere. And I speak with loving respect of uh, Crosby, Malkin, and Latang, who have played 19, 18, and 17 years with one club. Uh, can you imagine Latang? 17 years, and he's the third most seniority on the Penguins. And there's probably, is there five players in the league that have played with one team that right back to the, you know, the uh, beginning of the salary cap era? I mean, Ovechkin is the only one that sort of springs to mind. There might be one or two old guys floating around, but most of them have changed teams at least once. And so they've got this legacy team and then they signed the two of them, Latang and, and Malkin to legacy extensions. And they uh, they are not looking good. Here's a cautionary tale for you, Bruce. Last year, um, maybe not right at this time, or, but but during the whole build-up to the trade deadline, there was all kinds of people in Edmonton who were over the moon with the idea of trading for Eric Carlson from San Jose and giving up. Who are they going to trade? Evan Bouchard. Mm. You Now, let's not go back in the record and hear what you and I had to say, because maybe we... One of us or both of us may have had a favorable thought towards that. But lots of people were pushing that. Lots of people, let's just say it was a common thought. We've got to go all seem, in. We've got to go all in, man. It didn't seem like a crazy one at, in that moment. And people yeah. were all over that. Yeah, we got a, Evan Bouchard. He's behind Tyson Berry. And, you know, we got, he's not even like, he, you know, he's not running the top power plays on the third pairing with Philip Broberg, blah, blah, blah. And, yeah. And that's that's what I would say about people who want to trade Philip Broberg. I mean, he's not in the same spot as Bouchard was. He's not on the NHL team right now, mainly because there's such depth on the team. Um, I mean, Kulak, Ekholm, and Nurse are no slouches on defense. These are all really good NHL defensemen. So it's pretty hard for Philip Broberg to break in right now. But, um, yeah, be careful who you – be careful right now who you include in trade talk. It's like way back when, when, when it was, uh, yeah, let's trade Darnell Nurse and Leon Dreisaitl for P.K. Subban. That trade talk, 
you know, there's been a, a few of these moments. Um, there was another one. I remember the Brett Seabrook for Oscar Clefbaum trade talk. And uh, I mean, that looks a little different now because Clefbaum also got hurt, but Seabrook fell right off the face of the earth mm -hmm. shortly after that talk was going full steam ahead. So you always have to be careful about getting too keyed up about trading for, I'm going to say a 32, 33, 34-year-old player and giving up a ton for that player. Um, yeah. Because, man, players, I mean, I didn't even notice Carlson in the game tonight. He was... I noticed him had one shot where he missed the net. It was a good chance and he missed the net. But, I mean, he is a good hockey player. But, man, we would be hurting right now, if, probably, I think, if we had given up Evan Bouchard for him. Mm -hmm. Or maybe not. Maybe Bouchard would have cratered in San Jose. And, and we wouldn't have noticed. And Carlson would have helped yeah. Edmonton win the Stanley Cup last year. But I doubt it. I also doubt it. <laughs> <laughs> What's your number? Yeah, I'm going to go with the number six. Uh, that's the number of hits uh, awarded, credited to both members of the reunited, uh, previously brief defense pairing of Darnell Nurse and Vince DeHarnay. Uh, and man, is that, I was watching them tonight and I, I really liked the pairing, man. So greasy, the two of them. And, you know, anybody that went near either of them was, was uh, have to get, you know, the puck chopped away from them for one thing taken out run into the boards maybe get you know maybe take a stick here or, you know uh, I, I I just like the greasiness of the pair and I thought they were effective uh nurse blocked three shots to Harney blocked two uh they didn't have much going on offensively but uh in their own end of the sheet they were a load and uh it's a different look uh nurse of course been playing with CC pretty much since um uh, Jay Woodcroft took over the coaching staff and uh, Dave Manson over two years ago. Uh, they've been a steady pair on the back end. And, and CeCe, as we've noticed on this cast before, and has been generally noticed throughout oil country, has, uh, has had his struggles. And this was a good game to choose just to, just to again, <clears throat> change up the look and see see what we got and see if, if that nurse... De Harney pair and, and uh, Vincent's playing with such confidence right now. I mean, he's so long <laughs> as the new word is in hockey. Uh, I mean, with his reach and with that stick of his, uh, and he's very good at the stick on puck. I love the defenders that stick on puck and then take the body, right? Not, not just run for the head. Yeah. But get the stick in there first. Jason Smith was fantastic at it. it was first thing I noticed about him after they got him from Toronto. Stick on puck, shoulder and chest. In that order. And good luck playing against that guy or getting away from him along the wall. Right? When Vince takes a guy in on, on, on the boards <clears throat> and he might as well have a date with an octopus. You know, he's not getting out of there. <laughs> anyway, I liked the pairing, and I also liked the pairing of uh, Kulak with Cece. Cece had a fine game, scored a nice goal. Uh, Kulak had had two assists. Uh, he was plus two, uh, and he also he didn't get an assist. He got sort of the third assist on the goal I described earlier, where he intercepted the puck, and the forwards wound up getting all the points, which often happens for for uh, D-men. And also the incredible burst of speed that he showed on the penalty shot play where Nugent Hopkins, I think, toe-picked just inside the 
blue line on the far boards, and Kulak was literally on the other boards, 85 feet away from the puck carrier. Of course, that guy had to bring it into the middle. But Kulak just put on the afterburners. I went back and watched it sort of in live speed two or three times. I just couldn't believe how fast he was going, just flying back. And he got a stick in there, and he got a penalty, which became a penalty shot. But I thought the guy was a lot less likely to score on the penalty shot than if he just had the the straight breakaway. Uh, anyway, his his wheels uh, are, uh, are, are outstanding, Kulak. And he's really skating well these days. I thought he had two good games this weekend in particular. And, and uh, uh, I don't know if it's who's getting promoted and who's getting demoted, but let's... Ice time tells us something. Uh, 21 minutes for Nurse, uh, 18 for DeHarnay, uh, basically 18 for Kulak, and 19 for CeCe. So, of course, this was a game where they were rolling the lines for the last yeah. half of it. So it's, that's yeah. not a real true tell. Um, but it does say that, you know, they uh, uh, they all played a significant role. In this game, and I think it's it's not a bad look. CC and uh, Kulak in the earlier brief experiment, they played together a little bit, and their their underlying numbers were fantastic. Like the Oilers were oh, getting all the shots yeah. out there. That's not who I'm worried about when you change up the pairings. I think Kulak and CC as essentially a third pairing is really good. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just can Deharnay. It's just such a right. difficult thing. He, I mean, Bruce, he he got eaten alive. DeHarnay mm-hmm. in that first was it two or three games? Yeah, no, he was nervous. I yeah, thought. he he failed the test, the original one. Yeah, he's a battle backer, you know. And I, I'm yeah, I I wouldn't say that just because it it was an eye opener for him, and I, tonight he looked a lot more composed and ready for that. And I thought they played off each other well, and I thought they were nasty pairing to go up against so i'm in well, favor now's of that. the time now's the time to try it now's the time to absolutely try it because, uh, you need to know before the plus and before even before Friday. the deadline here yeah. i mean tonight i stoffer was saying between periods bob stoffer that mm-hmm. he sees the Oilers picking up a depth defenseman and i think this is that's the first time i've heard bob i heard him kind of poo-pooing the idea about a week ago mm-hmm. if i'm not mistaken mm-hmm. now bob's pretty plugged well, in so never changes his mind does he well, he, it's not that he changes his mind. Bob gets new information and presents it, and his information's good, right? He's he's oh, sure, yeah. I think, what he's hearing, and um, so that's interesting. I mean, it it seems pretty clear now. And Kurt Levins in his nine thinks that he reported clearly that his understanding was the orders the, the offer was CC in the first for uh, Chris Tanev of mm. Calgary. So. Um, Looks like the orders are looking for a defense, but I don't know who's available. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of people have talked about Nashville players like Carrier, Alexander Carrier, but I, I don't know if Nashville's moving out anyone there in a playoff spot. So they won eight in a row. Why are they going to mess with that? Well, that will, yeah. Why would you? It's pretty hard to do that. Is it also, even if it might be the smart thing to do, um, it's pretty hard to do that. All right, um, my number is I'm just going to go through a couple numbers with Hyman and Dreisaitl on the, I'm always obsessed with the top scoring chart. Hyman now is tied for second in NHL goals with Sam Reinhardt at 42 each. And Hyman has, uh, I think there's to play two less games in Florida. So um, Austin Matthews is going to win that race, obviously, with 53 goals. 
in 59 games. And, um, but Zach Hyman is tearing up the pea patch. He could easily finish second here. He's having one of those seasons like McDavid season, weird seasons, the goal assist ratio. Hyman's is now 42 goals and 19 assists, but I'm sure he'll take that. And just like McDavid will take his total. Mm-hmm. And the other player I wanted to look at is Leon Dreisaitl, who had three assists tonight and is, I think this has been updated. He's now in the top 10 in NHL scoring. He's tied for 10th with Miko Rantanen. Um, 78 points in 59 games for Leon. So that must be updated. And um, I think that's the first, at least the first time since early in the year that Leon's been in the top 10. He he was there briefly about uh, uh, two weeks ago, maybe. He got up to, I think, eighth, but it was like very, and then the Oilers had a couple days off and the guys around him got a few points. I think he might have had one game with nothing and all of a sudden he was down into 12th or whatever again. But. Yeah, so he's he's got three points up on Elias Peterson of um, Vancouver. Oh. He's played four or fewer games than Peterson. So Leon's making his move. We'll see where he finishes up. He's only, well, he, Pasternak in fourth place has 87 points in 62 games, and Leon has 78 points in 59 games. So let's say, you know, Leon could easily get five more games like tonight. Yeah, like, well, or three more games like tonight, three assists. So he's within shooting distance of being in the top. He could easily finish in the top five this year. And I, Mm -hmm. and I would predict he will finish. I think if he, if he and McDavid don't get injured, McDavid's going to win the scoring title and Leon will be in the top five by the end of the year. Um, They're just, they have games in hand and they're taking advantage of it, moving up the standings right now. Connor McDavid, of course, is now in third place. He's eight points behind uh, Nikita Kucherov, but he's played five fewer games than Kucherov. Mm-hmm. McDavid's missed two games, of course, so he, he only gets per, to make up three. Sorting by points per game, we have McDavid at 1.70, Kucherov at 1.69, McKinnon at 1.63. But of course, yeah. that does not factor in the, the two zeros in the games that uh, Connor missed. That's right. But, so it's I I always I'd like it when the Oilers win this you know do well in the scoring race. Of course, it's all meaningless in the end. The Stanley Cup's what it's all about. We'll see what happens then, and it's coming up. Bruce, our conundrum: mm-hmm. what to do about Dylan? Dylan Holloway. There's lots of discussion about him. Yeah. And people have I think strong opinions on either end of the spectrum, and I think they're yeah. both wrong. So so there's some people who would have him sent to the minors. Mm-hmm. and um, play down to the minors where he would be first-line center, get a lot of ice time. Then there's other people who would promote him to a top line at this point. Um, and then the, finally, I think there's the correct middle crown position where it's basically, kid, figure out how to play in the NHL, earn your spot, get your 10 to 12 minutes a game, um, be on the fourth or the third line if you earn that, and we'll see how it goes. I'm totally there, and I think it's the right thing to do with him. He's listen. He's a very experienced draft pick by this point. He's what was he drafted? Two twenty uh, twenty. It's four years 20, after that. Twenty one. Uh, well, no, wait. He was twenty twenty. He was yeah, twenty twenty draft right pick. Brover, yeah. He's had two years in college since then, and a couple years between the NHL and the AHL. This is his third year. 
Is this his fifth year after draft? I think it is. Uh, uh, this is draft plus four. He, he'd yeah. already played one year in college, and then he oh, played okay. his second year in college, and then yeah. he signed, and then, of course, he broke his his uh, his That's thumb or his, uh, uh, what's the name of that bone? The hollow bone that he busted. Gaffoid? Anyway. Gaffoid, that's the one. And that really set him back. And he's had other physical setbacks. Tonight was his 82nd NHL game, David. So that's one full NHL season spread out over the last two years. 82 games played, six goals, seven assists, 13 points, minus three. Uh, he's got 85 plus whatever he had tonight, shots on net. So one shot, one more tonight, 86 shots. So a shot a game. Uh, good um, course and such. His uh, career average ice time is 10 minutes and six seconds. This year it's bumped up from nine and a half to 11. Uh, so a little bit more. Um and he's got such versatility, but it's, it doesn't seem to um, be translating into, what, you know, how do they see his role? Like tonight he played center because Derek Ryan missed the game and, the, and Sam Gagne, and he does have that capability, which is great. He's got he's got versatility. Uh, in theory, he can play bottom six or top six, center or wing. Uh, and uh, the options, though, are many. Uh, one is they can bump him up the lineup. And, I mean, I've seen depth charts that say the Oilers should go out and get Bushnevich to give him five power forwards and then put Dylan Holloway on the second line to go with him. And I'm sort of going, wait wait a minute, don't you kind of have to <laughs> earn your way in there? And people say, well, you have to give the guy the opportunity to show what he's got. And I think they've given him some opportunity, but maybe not enough. And... On a night like tonight, where you can give him 13 minutes, that's great. And he had some good moments in this game. Uh, on the other hand, yesterday, in which he played, was it closer to eight minutes in yesterday's game? And I went back and I had a hard look at a shift that he had in the third period, which was the second last shift of the game. And it was one nothing for Edmonton at the time. And he did a few things right on this shift. He was out for a minute and 12 seconds. He he rushed the puck, dumped the puck into the zone and raced after it. He showed his speed uh, coming back. Uh, he got beat along the boards in his own zone. Uh, he made a good play to race out of his zone to take a Bouchard breakout pass. And he came into the uh, Seattle zone and pulled up by the boards just inside the blue line with Connor Brown going to the corner expecting him to dump in and cycle the puck because they were trying to win the game one nothing at that point. And instead, he just threw a prayer pass into the middle of the ice. Nobody around. And now you got three Seattle guys barging up the ice, and you have the three Oiler teammates, which were Bouchard, Kulak, and uh, McDavid, uh, where they're expecting a, you know, an offensive cycle. Instead, they're pivoting and backtracking hard and playing defense just because the kid just threw the puck away. And I mean, there was just no reason for it. And, you, you know, you've got to think there's only one play there, especially after this was a 72-second shift. You dump the puck in the corner and you get the hell off the ice. And, I mean, you got to learn so this hard. stuff. you got to learn this stuff. Yeah. And so I can understand why the, co the coach gave him one shift of 30 seconds during the brief period that it was 2 nothing, And then as soon as Seattle cut the lead again, he just stayed on the bench the rest of the way. And I honestly don't blame Knobloch. I mean, should give him a chance. Well, you want to win the game, right? You want to win that game. You don't want to be throwing pucks around. And these are, are, are still 
what I call rookie mistakes. And uh, uh, he's he's got a he he he's got such a fast motor. Like I I don't want to dump on the kid. He's got such a fast motor. He does things fast, but sometimes he doesn't. Well, clearly not think them through. But it's his basic instincts aren't always. He just sort of on the fly. Oh, what can I do that'll surprise people? Well, you don't want to be surprising your teammates when the puck's going the other way, right? And so uh, I I get the frustration a little bit of the coaches. Anyway, so the options are. Uh, you can try and promote him up the lineup. You can use him as a fourth liner the way he's being used now. You can send him the minors. You can trade him at the trade deadline. All of those are on the table right now in terms of what happens in the next week uh, with Dylan Holloway. What do you do? I don't trade him, and okay. I certainly don't send him to the minors. I just okay. think he's done with that. Like, what has he got to learn in the AHL? He's he's got to learn. He's he's ready to learn at the AHL. <laughs> Yeah, well, learn it at the HL. Watch Zach Hyman, watch Corey Perry, watch Warren Fogle. You know, like all of these players have become smart hockey players and make they, they make smart plays throughout the game. He's just got to, you know, watch these smarter hockey players, more veteran players. They're smarter because they're more veteran and um, more experienced and they've watched the game and they learn the game, become more of a student of the game and fit in. And he, he can help the Oilers win. This playoff season, if he if he's a quick if he's a quick learner, mm-hmm. even on the fourth line, you got to have a yeah. good fourth line. I have no problem at all with Dylan Holloway on the fourth line, going out there and making good plays. And if someone gets hurt, you bump him up. So, um, yeah, he's he shows the possibility of being an NHL player who could score twenty goals in a season, get fifty points if he gets it. To, if he figures it out and you know makes keeps his shift short protects the puck, covers his man in the defensive zone, stays on the right man of the defensive zone. And, you know, when at the end of a long shift, put the puck in the corner and get off the ice. It's all you got to do. You don't have to win the game for your team in that moment. And he's, you know, he's probably, he's trying to show his talent. And, you know, that's a good quality too, right? To be ambitious. No, and no, it, I understand. And no, to take chances. to make a mark. But I, I just think he's like, I, I like both. I still like, you know, clearly they could have taken someone else other than Philip Roberg in the draft and done better. They could have taken someone other than Dylan Holloway and done better. But both of these guys are trying to break into a, a really good team right now. Yeah. It's taken them longer than they've expected, but I, I still, they, they are they're both big, fast, skilled hockey players. And when they figure out how to fit into this team and how to make, help this team win, they'll be in the lineup f- for a long time and be, contributors to winning hockey for the Oilers so I don't think you, you certainly do not you do not get rid of these players I think that would be a huge mistake in trades no, yeah uh, the only reason I mentioned trading is if you're trying to get a big chip and you're going to have to pay a price with a you know legit prospect yeah. and, and a draft pick and he could you know I mean theoretically people will be asking about his availability let's and put Robert, it that way yeah. you know the other team should be should be asking about yeah well uh, yeah what if, it was Pittsburgh? Absolutely. what if it was Pittsburgh saying, we'll take, you can have Gansel, right? Edmonton, mm-hmm. you can yeah, have yeah, Gansel. Yeah, that's the kind of trade I'm we, talking but about. But we need either Philip Broberg or Dylan Holloway back in the trade. Mm-hmm. And, and a second round pick. You don't even have to give us your first. We, we That will be who we'll take. Because that's what they, apparently they want, Pittsburgh. They want yeah. these kind of players. So this this could well be, so that's the difficult moment. Because 
their guys are so old. <clears throat> That's a difficult moment when you have to decide between Gensel, who could help you win a cup this year, or Holloway and and. Broberg. And that's where that's where I'd that's have a hard mentioned it. think. Fair and that's fair enough, Bruce. So it's not just any trade you're thinking. Trade it <laughs> yeah, you're Get just thinking wrong. for the big fish trade. Okay, yeah. would you and again we go back then to the Carlson, you know, the Carlson for Bouchard trade, which seemed to make a ton of sense to the listen, to the vast majority of Oiler fans at that moment, is the truth. Well, Including maybe you and I, and I can't even Carlson remember what was I, on. Carlson was on the 100-point train last year, and he could do no wrong. I, I remember being pretty nervous about that trade talk. I have to yeah, say. I think I might have been leaning, but, leaning, leaning, thinking, oh, maybe I'd have to look. Mm-hmm. I got a bad feeling that I was all all, all in on it, but like, <laughs> I, <laughs> so I won't say too much. But I do think it was a, a uh, I. I don't think I was all in on it because I, I've always really liked Evan Bouchard, Bruce, as you will attest. Um, and, you know, but it did look like Carlson was an awfully tempting player. And he's still a good player. He's almost got a point a game with Pittsburgh. He's just not helping them win. Right. He's not putting them over the top. And in terms of, mm-hmm. you know, actuarial tables, Evan Bouchard's going to get a lot more points in the next 10 years in the NHL than William than William Carlson is. I can assure yeah. you of that. Eric or, Carlson. Eric he's Carlson. going to, yeah, he's going to get more Norris Trophy votes this year than Eric, than Eric. Carlson. He, he will. You are, you are correct. It happened fast. And it was not entirely, not, it, it, it could have been predicted, you know, like he, he always had that talent. He just needed the opportunity and trading Tyson Berry. So this is the thing, like even now, you know, this is the thing. It was tough with Broberg this year because he just, the Oilers got off to a terrible start and they wanted to play him in the top with uh, Ekholm. And And they never have, they never, and then he got hurt and blah, blah, blah. So we don't know if Broberg could play on the right side in the top four or in the top six. And it would have been good to know that by now, but Mm -hmm. we still don't know. And it's uh, it's one of the reasons I, I think you, you just don't trade that player. I would I would put trade Holloway before I would trade Broberg because I just think it is so difficult to get top four demon in the NHL, and I still think that's where Broberg's going to end up. I'm not sure Holloway is going to be a top six forward. Um, I think there's a chance. I think there's a greater chance for Broberg. So that would be if they if you have to if it's the Oilers, I, that's what I that's where I would stand at this point. What about you? Yeah, I'm I'm liking Broberg. I like he was really playing well in the AHL, and then of course he got hurt again. He's been waiting for you know an injury, give him a chance at the NHL level, and it keeps up winding up being him that gets hurt. Yeah, and Holloway's had some of that same kind of crap luck in terms of just staying healthy. Yeah, and he's missed a chunk of time each of his seasons since uh, since turning pro. Um, but um, you know that that's. The Oilers don't have a deep basket of prospects. Uh, if they're looking to make a trade for an impact player, the two guys that are going to be asked after are Broberg and Holloway. Yeah, I'd rather they get Eberle, whose his points per game is almost the same as Gensel or Bushnevich, mm-hmm. and um, give up a you know whatever that would take, make that trade happen. Less, it would be less. It'd be less. And, yeah, yeah, it would be. Because, yeah, I mean, he's unrestricted at the end of the year, and Seattle has fallen kind of out of the hunt. So I, I think, you know, and he's not sort of the obvious prize to that uh, Gensel appears to be. Yeah. If if he's the, the um, 
consolation prize, I believe, and that might work out for the Oilers just fine. Mm-hmm. All right, Bruce, let's leave it there. When's their next game? Uh, their next game, they're now hitting the road. They're playing Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday morning at 10.30 Mountain, mm-hmm. uh, which would be Mountain Standard Time, and then yeah. 11 o'clock Sunday morning, which would be Mountain Daylight Time, so 10 o'clock a.m. Sunday, based on what time you went to bed. Those are going to be real early starts on, on the weekend, both of them. And it's a, it's a uh, uh, four-game uh, Eastern road trip, and uh, then back home to face the... Uh, then they have uh, a run where they have two days off between games, three games in a row, right? They play the the uh, 5th, 7th, 9th, and 10th, but then not 13th, 16th, 19th, and then they pick up the pace again after that. So this is a hard goal. They're playing six and nine, nine days right now, which is as tight as the schedule can get in the National Hockey League. And then they have a, you know, three in the nine days that follow. Yeah. Nice to win four games in a week, though, David. Get that uh, sort of win one, lose one and back in the past and all the teams rolling again and creating some more separation in the standings. And uh, uh, the ultimate goal of the regular season, which is basically clinch a playoff berth, is looking more and more secure by the, by the day. There we go. All right, Bruce, thanks for talking tonight. Thanks for listening, everyone. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast.